You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Hey guys, uh, Dean from Lyle, um, actually, I hate to say this, but ecstatic that the White Sox made the move on Ricky Renteria. Um, I find it absolutely unbelievable that they are thinking about Tony La Russa. I'm, I thought he actually passed away, but uh, anyway, the guy that I really would like to see on their short list is actually Ned Yost, the former Kansas City Royals manager. One World Series, knows the AL Central backwards and forwards. Feisty type of guy. He's an ex-catcher, which is a good thing. And then lastly, I mean, he managed a bullpen perfectly in Kansas City. So anyway, just wanted to get your thoughts. Um, I know he's not even on their listing. Um, personally, I, I think he would be a good fit for the White Sox. Have a good day. Welcome into Sacks in the Basement. My name is Chris. Dave is off. He only shows up on Wednesdays. He's lazy like that. Remember, we're brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. Located on the southwest side, they cover all of northern Illinois and northwest Indiana. They're good folks, a veteran-owned, female-owned, family-owned business. They do great work. We just had water down here in the basement this past week. They were over in a flash. The way that they do their estimates may be the most incredible thing that I've ever experienced in my entire life. Because any other time I've ever had anybody come into my house, especially when there's water in your basement, like it's a pressure situation. They're like, well, this is the best I could do for you. No, no. First of all, Ken comes over, makes sure the thing is working okay. Now the problem is solved. Then he gives me like a a quote that he sends right to my phone through my email and it has an accept button on it, and I can wait until I'm ready to buy. So if I want to shop around, I can shop around, and when I'm ready for the new sump pumping system that he's going to install, I just hit the accept button, they call me up on the phone, and they set a schedule. It was probably the lowest pressure thing that I've ever been through, FAMWS.com. Joining me on the phone line for a conversation this Saturday, as I sit here with a a cold beer in my hand at my 9-foot homemade oak bar, he is not only the editor-in-chief for Diamond Digest, but he just got himself like a, a, is it a promotion, Jordan? You're the editor-in-chief now at uh, Sox on 35th, right? Jordan Lazowski on the phone line. Hey, Chris. Yeah, we just kind of put a name to it. I've been helping Joe for quite a while, and it, it's more more so just putting a name to it, kind of taking over the range while he does his own thing over uh, down in Houston, but happy to help him out wherever I can. Yeah, Joe, Joe Binder, who's been on the show before, and he was the guy that when we did the the simulated season, which seems like it was forever ago, even though it was just over the summer when there was no baseball. Uh, it was me and Joe that got together and started talking about doing that. And then uh, Saxon Basement, Saxon 35th started working together. Uh, you guys doing the recaps of the fake games that we were broadcasting. And now it looks like Joe Binder's got himself a new gig down in Houston. And you're going to be uh, taking on even a bigger role at Saxon 35th. And it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. We've talked uh, before, and and uh, you seem to be pretty spot on when you're making analysis on all things White Sox. So I'm pretty excited for you. Oh, I appreciate that a lot. And Joe obviously deserves all the praise in the world for getting the page to the point where it is and getting himself a pretty sweet gig down in Houston. And I'm just trying to fill in, make it seem like there's no difference between me and Joe because I can't and can't do much more than learning from the best. 
Well, when we're talking about transitions, uh, we're going through one right now as White Sox fans, not only from being a building team or a rebuilding team, uh, a team that was supposed to always be, well, next year maybe they're going to make their run or this is what the schedule is going to be, to now the schedule is here. The intention is the pennant or bust, World Series berths, deep runs in the playoffs for the next many years, and we're going to have a brand new manager. We just don't know who it's going to be. How much credence do you give to the Tony La Russa rumor? That's the first thing I want to ask you because I think it's a crock, and I, I, I think anybody that's getting excited about it, there's no way it's going to be Tony La Russa, but maybe, maybe I'm wrong. What, what do you think of it? No, I, I don't think it's going to be Tony Larusa managing. I, I think there's some credence to the fact that they might be reaching out to him, talking to him about things. You know, he has a storied history with the Sox franchise. That's no secret. Um, certainly no secret from either Hawk or Jerry about their regret in firing uh, Larusa back in the day. But I, I think it's more so a couple points. It might be a point to bring LaRusa back into the organization in some form, whether it's as a special advisor or something like that, or they're just doing their due diligence to, I guess, it's more of, it could be a negotiation tactic of sorts. You know, you're, you're trying to leverage your stance when you're reaching out to other managers and stuff like that. But I, I genuinely would be very shocked if, LaRusa was the one at the helm next year. I think it would mean that certainly Jerry went over the head of both um, Han and Williams and kind of made this decision on his own. My take on it, and you know, I, I, we try all the time to do uh, to to kind of interpret what we think is going on, right, in the White Sox organization. It comes out through Bob Nightingale, who I think anybody that's followed the White Sox long enough when you watch them during the winter meetings, uh, when you watch things that are going on within the team, when you're getting news about stuff that's supposedly happening behind the scenes, you're always like, Bob's getting this from somebody really high. He's getting it from Kenny Williams, or he's getting it from Jerry Reinsdorf. Like, that high. That That's where he always seems to be getting his information, even though he doesn't give it away, because a lot of times it feels like the info that he's putting out there benefits those guys the most. And you got a guy in La Russa who is friends with Reinsdorf, uh, you got a Reinsdorf that probably would love it because they said, hey, we're getting rid of Ricky because we want to have uh, like a top-notch manager to get us a bunch of World Series. And the first name that pops in the Reinsdorf said is, well, what about Tony? And we got Dave Duncan already here as an advisor. Well, we'll get we'll get Tony in here as well. And we'll just we'll just do it. And I, I kind of feel like it's we got to interview the boss's friend. And we can't interview A.J. Hinch until after the World Series anyway. So we might as well be doing something. We might as well have some topic of conversation. So it's not all A.J. Hinch for the next two weeks. Because if we miss on him, we're going to look really stupid. If everybody's centered on Tony LaRusso, it's a nice little smoke screen, right? Right. Oh, absolutely. I can 100% agree with you. I think it would be very much against both what Han and Williams have said publicly. It's, hey, we want someone who's got recent postseason success, who is a good blend of analytics and being able to trust his guys on the mound. And it, it doesn't seem like the fit. It seems like if the Sox announced the Bruce is the next manager, it feels like Jerry just said, all right, I'm doing this my way. And I, I don't think that certainly given the vibe that Han gave off in his end of the season press conference, it, it's not something the White Sox, Sox fans should be looking forward for. Um, whether or not they want to look forward to it, that's a different thing. But I, I just don't think it's the time, it's the place, it's the right scenario for this team. I think you're right in saying that it's probably doing a favor. And, you know, for these next two weeks, what else are we going to do? But hire or listen to some of the other candidates we might want to hire. But 
I think this is very much just a situation where, you know, the Sox want it out. They want LaRusso's name out there, get his name in the press a little bit, but eh, he's not going to be the one calling the shots at the end of the day next year. Jordan does a very good job of taking a look at, at the metrics uh, with a lot of players. And I'm wondering because you kind of you you take that approach a lot of times when you're when you're when you're evaluating ball players. Is there a way to do that with managers, or is there a managerial candidate out there right now that you know is probably a little bit more savvy at that stuff? Because it felt like that might have been one of the disconnects between the front office and Ricky Renteria that he was doing a lot more going with his gut then listening to the guys that were, were advising him, like, hey, this matchup is probably the better thing to do in-game or pre-game. Right, and, and the thing behind that is I, I think there's a misconception of those who maybe aren't so analytically inclined that those of us who are analytically inclined, all we want is whatever the numbers say is what goes. And, and I think that in theory sounds fantastic, but it, it's not something that can always be put into practice. When you look at some of the information that's come out with Renneria and some of the friction between him and the front office, it, it was more so, it felt like along the lines of, hey, they just weren't even considering some of this number stuff. It, it wasn't so much so they, they considered it, they're like, yeah, I get it, but this situation, I, I just have to go with my guy here. This guy's been feeling good at the plate. This guy's been shutting guys out left and right out of the bullpen. It didn't feel like that was, because that, that's more of a defense defensible thing. I'm not going to go too far against the guy who trusted his players, but still looked at the numbers, but it, it gave off more of a sense that he wasn't even that willing to look at all the numbers. And I think whether or not you like analytics, whether or not you're someone who feels they should be in the game, the fact is they're here. And you, and you have to be willing to work with that because you can't afford to not to, because there are 29 other teams who are going through that. So when you're looking at guys who maybe fit that mold a little bit better. I think in an analytical sense, a lot of times how they run their bullpens is the easiest way to see how much they're buying into the analytics, how much they're buying into whatever the front office is providing them. Because in today's game, and you're seeing it in the playoffs right now, starters aren't going very long anymore. And whether or not you like it, that's one thing, but it's something that, as a manager, you have to be able to adjust to and say, okay, maybe I want my guy to get six innings, and I have this perfect plan in mind where a guy gets through six innings. But that perfect plan, you need to be willing to adapt on the fly, and you need to be willing to even go into a game saying, this is not ideal by any means, in my opinion, but this is what I have to go with. And it's kind of like what Renneria did in game three of uh, the – AL wildcard series. It wasn't some, it was something that had it been, had each of the players executed correctly, I, there would be no fault in Renneria for that game three. Uh, I, I think that that was a situation where he tried something, but it kind of felt like it was forced or there just wasn't enough experience behind it, not enough skill behind it to fully see it through and be fit, able to fully adapt to it. Now, Players got to get guys out. That's no doubt. But at the end of the day, when you're talking about who comes next and what comes next for analytics, what comes next out of the manager spot, who might be good for that position? If you're looking at people who have managed before, it's those who you look at them and say, wow, they do a really good job handling their bullpen. Because the reality is that's a mix of analytics and knowing and trusting which guys to go to. 
So is Hinch the guy then? I mean, is he is he the the clear cut because he's he's able to do that? Like in your opinion, when you look at his body of work, because I, I you know everybody always banners around the name uh, Sandy Alomar Jr. The the organization seems to love him. I don't know if he would leave Cleveland. I feel like he has much stronger ties there. He got some experience this year because Frank Kona was ill, but I don't know how analytical he is, but it seems like Hinch is more on the side of what you're talking about. Yeah. Hinch is in my perfect world. If you're going to put in an experienced manager who I feel analytically holds his own and does a very good job with things, um, he he would certainly be the guy. I I think the difference there is that Cora feels like he's probably just going to go back to Boston. I think that was very much set up for him just to return in a year and, for as much as he's in the news about the White Sox uh, opening, I, I would assume he's right back in Boston. Yeah, they had a they had a plan with him. That was obvious. I mean, they right. they had a plan as to what they were going to do. They were like, well, we got to put up with not having him for a year. They didn't sign a long-term manager. They just basically were like, well, we're just going to have to put up with this and let's see what's going on. But if Hinch is getting a job, I think Cora's getting a job, and the Red Sox aren't going to sit there and say, we're not bringing him, we're not bringing him back. Uh, Dave and I were talking about on the show, and, and I kind of look at a Hinch as – he made a, a an error when it came to how he handled what was going on in Houston, but he wasn't the perpetrator of it. Like he thought, I'll just break up the equipment. I'll just tell people I'm upset. They'll follow me. And then he learned a lesson where they weren't doing it in later years. But the problem is he didn't report it and he didn't handle it the right way. And I said, you know, when I when, the first time I was a boss, I screwed up a lot of things. Okay, my last run as a boss, I understood how to not make those mistakes, and I would try to give advice to other bosses who worked alongside of me, like who were first-time bosses, and be like, "No, nah, you're gonna get yourself into a jackpot if you don't do this. If you don't, if you don't report this, if you don't do this, you're gonna get you're gonna get jammed up." But you don't get that when you're early on. That was his first managerial turn. I kind of understood it. With, with Hinch, it's very interesting, and you're you talking about it as a boss from a boss perspective. It makes complete sense. He was stuck in a weird place there's he has two options he has the first option of telling his team to stop or reporting it you alienate yourself as a coach and you might lose your job because of it because if you can't control your club if your clubhouse if the guys behind our 25 guys behind you don't have your back they don't feel you have their back that creates a cancerous clubhouse that most worst managers have lost their job over so it's not like he would have kept it forever if there was friction in the clubhouse. On the flip side, you could do what he did. Not approve of it, smash the monitors, not really say anything, but by doing so, didn't create that tension in the clubhouse. It, it was more so just willful neglect in that case. Now if it comes out, you see what happens. He still loses his job, and now his name is smeared a little bit. So he, he chose the route that, you know, if you never get caught, nobody ever knows. Versus if you're the one to blow the whistle, it's kind of like the Mike Fires thing. Look at how people treated Mike Fires when he first came out with all the information. Um, now, now you look at Hinch in that situation, how can you expect the guy to react a certain way? I think to act like he should have reported it right away is a completely fair take, and I understand those who do. But I think if you consider the situation as a human being, and being a guy who wants to be in the clubhouse and have this long-term job and hopefully have long-term jobs after this, it, it, it kind of feels like, again, it's like being stuck between a rock and a hard place. You know what the right thing to do is, but at what cost? 
And, and that was kind of what I felt like he was probably managing. And, and you're right that he made the mistake. He's paid for it. He wasn't the perpetrator. He didn't approve of it, clearly. It was just willful neglect. And if that's what he's responsible for, I feel much better about that than hiring the ringleader and the perpetrator of the whole thing. Socks in the Basement listeners have a new Southside hangout to watch every game this postseason. Jack's Place in Chicago Ridge at 7000 West Southwest Highway. Jack's Place is a small, clean sports bar with a flat screen everywhere you look. Plus, their private video gaming room is away from the cheers of those watching the game. And with the cleanest bathrooms in town, they are a great date night spot. And now Jack's Place is teaming up with John Natanik and Country Insurance for teacher appreciation days, union member specials, and police and fire Fridays. Follow them both on Facebook for dates and details. Plus, give John a call now at Country Insurance, 708-289-9935 for your home, auto, or life insurance needs. Plus, a free Dunkin' Donuts gift card given out to you. And all you have to do is text him right now. Use that number, let him quote you, no strings attached, 708-289-9935. Jack's Place in Chicago Ridge and John Natanik at Country Insurance. They have you covered, Sox fans. Here's the thing, I would be fine with Hinch, not only over Cora, but I there's part of me that I don't even know if I want George Springer as a free agent. Like, I'm mad at the players. I'm really, really mad at the players because they knew what they were doing. If, if somebody asked me right now, who would you rather have in a, in a bubble, in a, in a vacuum, would you rather have Hinch join the White Sox or would you rather have Springer join the White Sox? I'd be like, can't we find another right fielder that can kind of fill a role so I don't have to have that cheater on my team? Like, that's how I would feel. Like, I, I'd be like, oh, I guess I'm going to root for him. I'm never buying his jersey because I'm disgusted about what the players did. Hinch never gave that to me. I never walked around and said, oh, I hate A.J. Hinch. I actually was really mad at Cora as a fan and I was really mad at the players as a fan, and then I got really mad at Rob Manfred for completely messing up the entire process and letting them all off the hook. I'm mad at all those people before I'm mad at A.J. Hinch. You know, and I'm and we're going to get accused of, you know, being a fan base that just, like, took a terrible person on because we just want to win, but I don't feel that way, and secondly, I, I don't care. I just want to win. <laughs> right. At the end of the day, like, that's the thing. You don't, and it feels so weird saying this, but you see it and you... It, I think the first reaction of the Houston Astros, myself included, was like, as a very analytical person who rooted for the Astros, who roots for the Rays now, it's like, it, it kind of felt like, man, I put all this stock into what they're doing and this comes out. It's like, what the hell happened here? But at the same time, you take the step back, you take the bird's eye view of it. It's like, okay, this White Sox team has had a playoff appearance in 2020, in 2008, and 2005 before that. And that's all I remember because I'm only 23 years old. And I barely remember 2005 and 2008. Oh, my God, you poor so guy. Certain, you poor guy. I know. <laughs> so I'm this young kid. So it's like, at a certain point, you don't win. And this is going to sound bad, but it's true at the end of the day. You don't win some award at the end of the year for being the most morally righteous team. By the way, thanks for making me feel old, Jordan. I was drinking before you were a thought in your father's brain. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Thanks a lot. I'm gonna have another. I'm gonna have another you know, swig right I'm, now. Thanks a lot, Jordan. I, I feel bad, but I, I, I got. It's part of the whole scenario here. I feel horrible. <laughs> trust me. <laughs> but it, it, it all comes back to you know you've got people who have not seen this team has not experienced postseason success recently. That that's just what it is. 
not even in the form of World Series, but even just getting to the playoffs. You need to make moves that lead to World Series caliber teams. And in order to do that, sometimes you might have to hire the guy who willfully neglected to call out his own team because he's really good with analytics and he's got, he's got a good understanding of the game. And if you look at him, he, he was the director of player development for Arizona and he was the VP of professional scouting for San Diego. Like he has a resume that just goes beyond Houston. He is a smart baseball man. And, and if you just limit him to being the manager of the cheaters, you, you kind of negate a lot of what he has done in his career. Now, Corey, you can make a completely different argument where it's like, well, he was the ringleader. So no matter how qualified he is, I don't want to hire the ringleader. And that's a completely valid argument to make, too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we brought up beer. So I want to give a quick plug here, Jordan. You might be excited about this. I, I would assume that every once in a while you like a cold brew. There is a new thing sitting on top of Open Outcry Brewing Company's roof at 10934 Southwestern. It is called the Soundcheck Bar. And when you walk inside of this lodge on the top of the roof, you will be met by a, a like a podcast studio. We set it up. It's got like a, a working mic hanging over the table. It seats eight in there. You can reserve the thing. And there's all kinds of pictures of socks in the basement events and all kinds of cool memorabilia and free socks in the basement hats inside of it because we're we're the sponsor of the Soundcheck Bar. Socks in the Basement and the EP podcast, one of the other podcasts that I do. So if anybody wants to go check this thing out, it's $169 and there's a bunch of different drink packages. The one I like the most is you pay $169, bucks, you are up there for 90 minutes, you get a 32-ounce crawler of beer for everybody at the table. So eight crawlers are out on the, on the table to start you off that night. You got this heated thing on the top of the roof. You get to hang out in the podcast studio. You get to look at all the cool stuff. You get to walk out with Socks in the Basement swag when you're done. And you go and reserve that anytime you want to at ExploreTock, T-O-C-K, ExploreTock.com. Jordan, does that sound like that might be something fun for you to go to, bring your friends? Yeah, you had me at Rooftop Bar with a podcast studio. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. All right, so we got some holes that we got to take care of here on this team. And I think it's a, it's a given you're going to have some guys get really get non-tendered. And without getting into the mess, that's always a pitching staff. I, I am curious what your wish list would be for this this team, because I'm assuming a pitcher has to be added. I'm assuming you got to figure out right field again, unless you believe that Adam Angle's stats, if you extrapolate them out, and the fact that he's kind of changed his approach at the plates and starting to work with Mankino last year when he went down to AAA – he, he's a very different hitter. So maybe he could actually go out there and play the majority games in right field. You got Andrew Vaughn on the way, but really DH right field pitching that it, it, it's the pro- same problem as last year is back here again this year, looking at who's out there and the fact you like to break down the analytics and, and you, you study this team the way that you do. If you could pick a realistic wish list of who you think the Sox should target and they could actually get, who would it be? So the question there, and that's why it's so difficult, is what's going to be realistic for the Sox this year? They've been pretty noncommittal about what their payroll is going to look like. So if you assume it's going to be something similar to last year, where it's around hovering around $120 million, they have maybe $35, $40 million to spend in free agency, maybe a little bit more. And that's not a ton of money, which is the problem. So if you're looking at, at it from, okay, look at the 2020 White Sox perspective. What held this team back the most? It wasn't having a black hole in right field. It wasn't even having a black hole at DH. It was not having 
enough reliable pitching to get themselves through a season. And you and people will make this argument about adding a starting pitcher at the deadline and stuff like that. And I still don't look at this team as no matter who you would have gotten at that trade deadline, they wouldn't have been good enough to maybe get you past that game three in Oakland. This, this team was not built to win a five, seven game series. So the, the point being, if you're looking at what a realistic wish list might be, I'm going to put the funds necessary to starting pitching and figure out right field if I have the money to do so. So my view of it is, look at those top line starters. Look at Trevor Bauer. He's top of my wish list. Jordan, he's a top of mine too. I keep sitting there thinking he's like just up Jerry Reinsdorf's alley. Like, here's a guy who only wants a short-term contract with a bunch of money, and he wants incentives. Yeah. Like, that's what Reinsdorf loves. He loves, like, hey, if you're good, I'll pay you. And if you suck, I don't have to pay as much. And I can get rid of you in a year or two if it didn't work out and I'm not tied into pitching. He hates being tied into pitching. Like, he is, he, Trevor Bauer is Jerry Reinsdorf's dream come true. I would be shocked if they don't go after him. I would be, too. And it, 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 simply because he's the best available pitcher. He, he brings more than just what he does on the field. You know, he's an analytical nut. He's absolutely insane in many regards. I, I think that there is an element of his natural inclination to study pitching and study himself even and study other pitchers that I think naturally rubs off on younger guys like Dylan Cease and some of the things he needs to change going into next year. Lopez even, Kopech, Dunning. He has an ability to rub off on other young players. And I think there, there is a level of teaching that can come from players that no matter the pitching coaches, no matter who the manager is, players get into their own friends or their own teammates' heads better than any coach really can. And I think that's the sort of value off the field Bauer can bring. Now, if the Sox decide that's a price tag they don't want to pay, Marcus Stroman would be the next one on the list. He, those are the most two most reliable starters on the um, market this year that you can pencil in for some sort of positive success. Socks in the Basement listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. You know, Jordan, what you mentioned earlier how young you were in 05, and as you're talking about the pitchers, I'm, I'm just thinking back to what the White Sox had uh, as they approached that season where Mark Burley was their, their best pitcher, and then you had a bunch of other stuff, and you had a John Garland with potential, but that was it. And they went out and they go get a, a Jose Contreras, and they go out and get a Freddie Garcia, and then all of a sudden Garland has like his best season ever, and you were walking around with four aces on your staff. And that's, even though I think relief, relief pitchers do a lot more, 
you need a couple of big horses in there. And right now the Sacks are walking around with one horse I see. And I I see Dallas Keuchel is probably closer to being a three in your rotation than being a two. Mm-hmm. And and so they need to go out and get more than what they have. Because if, yeah. if they're relying on three John Garland stories, where you get three guys that are already there and you're waiting for them to come of age, that may not work out. I mean, that's where someone like Kevin Gossman or Jose Quintana comes into play. Someone who's just going to go out there every fifth day, they're going to give you six, seven innings. And you don't know what you're going to get from them necessarily, but you know you're going to get that many innings. And that's going to help a young bullpen, a young rotation. It's going to help a young team in general to just have some sort of stability in the rotation. And I think that's where you can't necessarily go into this next season saying, oh, we have enough arms because I can go Giolito, Keiko, Kopech, Dunning, Cease, and I'm done. If we learned anything this year, it's that every arm is valuable for this team. And someone like even a Carlos Rodon, who everybody hates and nobody likes and he can't stay healthy. But he might be someone who just needs to eat innings at some point in the season. You can never have too much pitching. I, I think this is a season or an off season where the White Sox really need to take a look at what happened in 2020 and even like go five in what you're saying is that you need guys who you can depend on for innings. And even if you can't depend on certain guys for innings, you need arms. Arms are va- more valuable than ever before. And, and if you can't have at least seven, eight, nine guys where you're like, I can throw them on the mound to start a game and they can give me something, you're not going to last through 162 games, much less make it all the way to the postseason, much less go up against some of the best postseason teams. Jordan Lazowski, I appreciate you joining me. I'm going to tell you something right now. It was a fun half hour to sit down and talk with you. Uh, check him out. He's the editor-in-chief for Socks on 35th and Diamond Digest. Uh, he's a two-time Socks math finalist. He's an IBWAA member. I mean, basically, you've accomplished more at 23 than I did. So congratulations to you on that one, Jordan. And uh, you can check him out at SoxOn35th.com. And I appreciate you sitting down with me and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Absolutely, Chris. We'll have to have you on Socks on 35th at some point once we start doing podcasts. <laughs> Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on socksinthebasement.com.